sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might love the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way you can do that is by email, and the address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. O-R-G. I'm joined on the phone today by Dr. Elizabeth Mitchell. Hi, Dr. E. Hi, how are you, Chris? It's great to be here. Great. It's great to have you back on Ignition from last week. Uh, Dr. E and I are going to be talking today about Edith Stein, a Catholic who you should know because in many ways she's a 20th century martyr for the faith. Fascinating story, but in many ways she she lives uh, she lived a reality that many of us are experiencing today. Is this all there is? Uh, we're living our life. We have, in many ways, everything we want or we need, and there's still an emptiness. And so many of us, whether we think it or not, whether we speak it or not, we experience an em- emptiness, an emptiness that we can we can put in the form of a question, is this all there is? And in, in the life of St. Edith Stein, we see that the answer, her answer is, was a resounding no, that there is so much more. That's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition. If you've never listened before, my name is Chris Bergwald. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls. Uh, That's basically eastern South Dakota. The Missouri River sort of divides the state of South Dakota, and the Diocese of Sioux Falls is the eastern half of the state. I've been in that role with the diocese since 2002, been in the role of husband to Jermaine since 1999, so 21 years now. Uh, she's from Ohio. I'm from central Minnesota, but all five of our kids are born and raised here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Dr. Elizabeth Mitchell, who are you? So I am blessed to have had uh, Edith Stein kind of take me under her wing. So in terms of where the doctor comes from in Dr. Elizabeth Mitchell, I did my PhD in Rome in the uh, science of church communication, and I wrote my doctoral dissertation on St. Edith Stein's vision of the art and beauty as a way to come to know God. Mm. God is the divine artist who is crafting each one of us to become the masterpiece he has always envisioned we can become. And I think, like an artist, he's always fine-tuning, going in with his little brush, doing some detail work, um, and she says sometimes he's the artist and we're kind of more like a block of marble and there'll be a chisel blow. He just has to get moving on the artwork. And you know when in your life, when that chisel blow comes down, the sort of, you know, shock out of nowhere, the big life event that's so difficult. Um, it's sometimes it's the artist at work um, to further who you are called to become. And in hindsight, you can see that. So um, my my professional studies took me to Edith Stein, and I lecture on her now. Um, I'm doing a course on her right now this summer that's a, a live online course uh, with the Avila Institute of Carmelite Studies. And I teach during the school year at Trinity Academy in Pewaukee, Wisconsin. I teach high school and grade five, and I love education. I think there is no more important place to be to pass on the faith than in the classroom. Amen. 
So um, you have professional expertise. She's also a saint, so maybe some, in a sense, personal expertise um, on the the life and thought of Saint Edith Stein. So who is she? And and to put it maybe in a blunt, crude way, why should we care about her, Doctor E? Well, that's a great question. I think one of the first things to think is she's very accessible and very real. Uh, I went to her canonization in Rome. I just, when you live in Rome and you're studying there, you just get tickets to the canonizations right. and off, off I went and I didn't know anything about her. And I, I thought to myself naively, well, she's a great philosopher. I probably won't have any further, hmm. you know, interest in her life because she's way beyond me intellectually. She's just in another sphere. She's in a discipline I'm not confident in, and so that's nice, but... And it's the opposite. Uh, she's such a real, kind, generous, gentle soul. And I always say, whenever you are drawn to know more about Edith Stein, it's because she chose you, mm. and she is inviting you to be her friend, and she is one of the friendliest, most wonderful people. And so even if you're listening to this broadcast and you think, oh, yeah, Edith Stein, I've kind of heard about her. That that's because you're listening because Edith Stein is like, yes, you have, and I want to help you, and I want to give more to you. Um, interestingly, a little sort of piece of trivia, she's a saint, and she is a canonized martyr of the Catholic Church, but her canonization cause opened as a traditional cause for sanctity of a person who had lived a life of heroic faith, <clears throat> hope, and charity. And so her everyday life and her path to God and holiness was intact and going forward as a canonization. Then they discovered the documentation on the way in which she was martyred in, it's called in odium fide, in hatred of the faith. And the cause was reopened as a martyrdom cause. Oh. She is she is not just a saint because she died in Auschwitz, transported as a persecution against the Catholic Church in Holland, which is why she ended up there. Um, she was going forward as a full-blown saint of the Church before they discovered that. That, that I didn't... I think is fascinating. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that. I thought that the martyrdom was always a part of her cause. No, no they, they, they reopened her cause, they changed all the parameters, and then it went forward as a martyrdom cause. The interesting thing about when you go forward as a martyrdom cause, then you have to have a, a miracle to be beatified, and then you have to have a second miracle post-beatification to be canonized. A martyrdom cause does not have the two miracles, it just needs the one. So right. her miracle, another reason why Americans should care, was the healing of a little girl from New York, oh. the United States. Wow. Which is so cool. It's like, wow, Edith Stein knows all about New York and America. <laughs> she gave us her miracle. She could have done it anywhere. You'd think she would have healed someone in her hometown of, you know, in Germany. Um, no. And so, and it was a little girl who was named Teresa Benedicta after Edith Stein because uh, St. Edith Stein's religious name was St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. So she healed a little girl named Benedicta wow. who had warning to all parents, the child had overdosed as a child on uh, extra strength Tylenol. She saw little packets in the bathroom and opened them and thought they were candy. And she kept going back through the course of a day and nobody knew. And she was mm. suggesting many times past her toxicity level of that medication and her, all of her organs went into failure. She should not have survived. Wow. 
And they, they prayed to, they got the phone tree going out and they prayed to Teresa Benedicta to heal her. And she did. Wow. So, so we've, you've given two pieces of information about this. Well, actually more than that. She, uh, hometown in Germany, um, a religious name. So she was, she joined a religious community at some point, but you mentioned, um, philosophy. So she, maybe our listeners have heard of her, her before. She was actually well known, um, as, as a philosopher, um, from, from philosophical writings and conferences and so on before she ever became Catholic. Yes, so very interestingly, she's born Edith Stein. She's born in 1891, so just before the turn of the century. She's born in Breslau, Germany, which today is the town of Wroclaw, Poland, because they re uh, they readjusted the border between Poland and Germany after World War II. So she was born on you know the far yep. eastern side of Germany, and she's born into a Jewish family. She is raised Jewish. She is, you know, card carrying. That is her her family tradition. Her mother is a staunch Jew to the end of her mother's life. Edith Stein has this absolute personality where if it's not authentic to her, she doesn't buy it. And her faith tradition of her family did not speak to her heart. And then she went when she was 14 to live with an older sister as a sort of a mother's helper. She had an older sister who had married and had children. And Edith, who was super bright, said, I'm, I'm done with school. I, I can't stand school anymore. They're not challenging me. Please take me out. Her mother allowed her to leave school. And she goes when she's 14 to live with her older sister. And in her older sister's home, there is no faith of any kind. It's a completely atheistic home. And Edith Stein consciously there, there gives up praying at that age. And she, um, she begins this search for the truth. She's really known as a courageous seeker of the truth. So for all of those people who are just saying this can't be enough, whatever it is that is, um, you know, informing my life, it's not fulfilling my soul. It's not enough. That's Edith Stein. She, um, she seeks for the truth through academia. So she enters college, she goes back to school, and then she goes to university. She studies psychology, thinking, I'll get to the truth through studying the science of the human person and the psyche. Mm. It does not fulfill her. And then she turns to philosophy, and she gets closer to the absolute truth. She loves philosophy, and it's the time of... Um, in Germany, of the phenomenological movement. So there are two big movements in in philosophy, scholasticism, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, the father of scholasticism, and then phenomenology, the father of phenomenology is Edmund Husserl. And Edmund Husserl was still teaching at the time Stein was a student in the university town of Göttingen. So she gets a train ticket, she gets into his classes, and she she goes to become a phenomenologist, and she becomes one of the, the, the most well-known phenomenologists of her time. But while she's there, a lot of people in the School of Phenomenology were converts to Christianity. Mm. They were converts from Judaism. Um, it's something very interesting about phenomenology. She says, because phenomenology has you uh, learn through experience, so you don't bring any preconceptions. So I might see a piano, and as you know, Dr. E, I know pianos play music, but in phenomenology, you just experience the piano and you decide it plays music because you hear it play music. You're not allowed to objectively know anything about that piano except what you experience. That's okay. sort of the, the yep. short form of phenomenology. And okay. so Stein experiences Christianity, not through her preconceptions from a Jewish family. And there's 
um, you know, persecution between Jews and Christians and some, you know, bad blood. No, she just experiences Christians as Christians, and the experience is overwhelmingly blessed. And she says, I have to let go of my preconceived notions. These Christians are amazing. These Christians know what's going on. They are top academics, but their lives are informed by Christ. I want what they've got. I don't have what they have. And she um, she reads the life of St. Teresa of Avila one night, who was a Carmelite Catholic. And Edith Stein closes the book and she says, this is the truth. And she's right. She's found Catholicism. She's found something that's going to satisfy her soul and beyond. And she decides right there she wants to become a baptized Catholic and enter Carmel. Now, she be, she gets baptized. She goes straight down to the parish church the next day. I'm ready for baptism. And they, they make sure that she knows her faith. And then she is baptized very shortly thereafter. But she has a spiritual director who says, you need to kind of get your your sea legs here in Catholicism. I'm not letting you enter Carmel uh, for a while. And so she lives in the world as a secular Catholic for eight years. And that's where we get this great teaching body from Edith Stein. She lectures on the topic of woman, um, who a woman is meant to be, what she's meant to give um, to society. She she translates St. Thomas Aquinas from Latin into German. She just she just gets to know the faith and she gives the faith um, out. And then she's able to enter Carmel, ironically, because of the Nazis. She loses her teaching position because she's a Jew. Mm. She's of she's of Jewish blood. And the Nazis didn't care if you were currently living as a Catholic. If you were of Jewish blood, that was it. So she loses her job because of the Nazi persecution. And ironically, she's able to then enter the the convent. So she enters the convent in Cologne, Germany, and she becomes a cloistered Carmelite nun. This is extremely hard for her mother, who is not understanding the conversion itself felt like a betrayal. Especially because her mom because still is a practicing Jewish her woman. Her mom is still a very faithful, devout Jew. And at the time, there were these things known as conversions of convenience, meaning uh, you got you got baptized into Christianity in order to sort of maybe escape some of the persecution against Judaism. Now, none of that were the reasons behind Edith's conversion, but the family looked askance at her, and that was a deep sorrow for her, I'm sure you can imagine. If you made a life choice that was true to who you are, Chris, and your extended family who you love dearly uh, questioned your motives, you would just, it would be a real suffering, and it would really kind of test that decision, and if you stuck with it, that's part of her heroism, her heroic faith, hope and charity is this conversion story. So she's living now as a cloistered Carmelite nun in one of these wonderful orders of the church. And again, the Nazi persecution moves her forward. She kept calling it living at the hand of the Lord, that the hand of the Lord will move you where you need to go. Kristallnacht takes place in Germany in 1938. And so it's this night of broken glass, this famous night when the Nazi, uh, the brown shirts and some of the SS go through and they ransack Jewish synagogues and businesses, making it nigh on impossible to publicly be a Jew in Germany after that. And so she is spirited away at night across the border to another Carmel in Act in the Netherlands. And they take her in and she is safe there for another few years. And she does more philosophical writing. You can read her writings. Her books are published. They're, they're fabulous, each one of them. 
Um, she even wrote a book called Life in a Jewish Family. And she was writing it at this time, talking about what it meant to grow up in a Jewish family as a real positive, like the Jewish culture is not to be persecuted. The Jewish culture is a huge part of Germany. Um, but that book is so dangerous to be writing that they have to like bring it by car at night. Um, someone else has to bring it to her. She can't wow. be seen with that book. So she then is living in Aft, and the, the bishops of Holland, it's just unbelievable, speak out from the pulpit on July 6th, 1942. Every single bishop, they read a letter. They give they, The bishops give a letter to all the Catholic priests. They read it from the pulpit in this organized Sunday protest, and it's a letter against the deportation of the Jews. Now, if you can imagine uh, a current issue where if the bishops wrote a letter and every priest in all the parishes, let's say in South Dakota, read it, that made the Nazis furious. Sure. And what they do is they persecute you to shut you up in, in intimidation. So they do a roundup of all of the converts to Christianity from Judaism. So they go into the convents and the seminaries and they, they take out the Catholics. And in fact, the original roundup rounded up Protestants and Catholics. They let the Protestants go the next day because they find out that only the priests and the bishops of the Catholic Church had organized this protest. So in this roundup, in the paddy wagons, there are nuns with Jewish stars on the outside of their habit. So Edith Stein is in her Carmelite habit with a Jewish star on it. Even in a cloistered convent, you had to wear the Jewish star. Mm. So that the nuns around you knew <clears throat> you were a Jew. Uh, and it's just meant to, to, to mark you as this, you know, thing that you can't be. And so she is rounded up and her sister is arrested with her. Her sister, Rosa, also converted to Catholicism. I pray to Rosa all the time. She's the most amazing lady. Mm. Um, she used to get up and go to 5 a.m. Mass when she was in her hometown. She took care of their mother until her mother died. And then she joined Edith in the Carmel. Um, she wasn't a full, fully professed sister. She was a sister who helped um, at the front gate with the, um, it's called an extern sister, helps with the, the deliveries and the, the interaction with the world because it's a cloistered order. Right. So Edith and her sister Rosa are arrested. They're taken onto the street outside the convent, and Edith turns and she says, come, Rosa, we go for our people. And that's overheard by the crowd that understandably would be outside watching this Carmel have an arrest. And she means we're going to offer our sufferings for the Jewish people because we understand the power of redemptive suffering because we have this Catholic perspective. And so that's what she does. She walks forth to the Holocaust. She called it her own Holocaustum. She had actually written a letter to her mother superior prior to her arrest saying, may I offer my life, my sufferings uh, in a very redemptive way for the end of the war and for the conversion of the Jewish people. And she is then taken to Auschwitz and she is killed in Auschwitz uh, on August 9th, 1942. So her feast day in the Catholic Church is August 9th. And, um, you know, it's just coming up right around the corner. You know, in about a week, we're going to have July 6th which is the Feast of Saints Joachim and Anne, but the day when that letter was preached from the pulpit in uh, Act in, in Holland, and then her arrest, and she dies. And she her train deportation transport stops 
in one of the towns that she had lived in during her life as a Catholic professor. Mm. And she knows, she knows the station master because she's taken so many trips in and out of that station. And she says, um, tell the sisters in the nearby convent whom she knew there was a Dominican convent nearby where she had lived when she was a teacher. And she says, tell them Edith Stein was here and tell them we are heading East. And those are her last known words. And it's a sense of we are heading ultimately, no matter what we go through to the resurrection to mm. Christ's ultimate plan for all of this suffering, um, that we are a part of. And so she, uh, she's, uh, honored as a martyr to the faith of the Catholic Church. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. I'm Chris Bergwald t- talking today with Dr. Elizabeth Mitchell about St. Edith Stein or St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, more technically her religious name uh, as a cloistered Carmelite nun. Uh, but prior to entering into the Carmel, she was uh, known as Edith Stein. Um, mm-hmm. So so a beautiful overview, masterful summary of her, her life, Dr. E. I want to back up um, to her conversion. And w- what struck me, and I wanted to wait till you f- finish the story before asking. Um, so it's, it's reading uh, the writings of St. Teresa of Avila uh, oh. that convicts her. But that, that's like St. Teresa is known as a, as a master of the spiritual life, not of mm-hmm. theology or philosophy, at least in the academic senses of those mm-hmm. words. What was it about um, the writings of St. Teresa of Avila, the, the, the uh, 17th century Spanish Carmelite nun as well, and mystic, what was it about her writings that so entranced Edith Stein that she recognized them as the truth for which she'd been searching and longing for? Okay, that is a fabulous question, Chris. Nicely, nicely put. Um, St. Teresa of Avila <clears throat> is the culminating encounter for Stein with what she calls living images. So... She, Edith Stein has this understanding that when you meet someone who is an image of Christ, it affects you. So there are three. She, her, one of her best professors in, um, in the phenomenological school is killed in World War One. He was a Christian. She, she loved him dearly. He, and she is asked by her professor's widow to go and organize his papers. And she thinks, oh, I can't do that. That woman's going to be a mess. She's going to be a puddle. She's going to be weeping. I can't go into that much pain. And the widow is totally self-composed because the widow understands the power of the cross mm. and uniting her sufferings to the cross of Christ. And Edith Stein says that was her conversion moment interiorly. That was when she knew Christianity was all that, that, they, that they say. She saw it lived by Anne Reinach, wife and widow of Professor Reinach. Then she goes into a cathedral in Frankfurt one day just to look at the cathedral and not because she's there to pray. And in comes a woman from the marketplace with a basket on her arm and kneels down to pray. And Edith Stein says, that blew me away. That woman had a relationship with Christ. She was there to talk to him. She had, she had stopped her busy day of errands to talk to a person. And Edith Stein said, I didn't know that person. I didn't have a relationship with that person. And that intrigues her. And then Teresa of Avila, I think it's the total union and giving of her life to Christ that Teresa of Avila embodies. Mm. Uh, in the Carmelite spirituality. But ultimately, Chris, Edith Stein was asked the question that you asked, and she said, my secret is to myself. Oh. She never says what it was that hit her so deeply and, of course, even formed her Carmelite vocation. Um, so it was just a deeply interior encounter 
with the the lived image of Teresa of Avila's life. So I'm going to ask you probably an unfair question, but I'm curious. So you, to the extent, because obviously you've you've read her, you know her life. Do you have a guess, Doctor E? Why why did she keep that a secret? Any any guesses? She always referred to herself and her family did as the book sealed with seven seals. She even when she was little, she was. Um, very interior and extremely private. So, and she, in fact, she suffered for it quite a bit. She was very perceptive and sensitive. <clears throat> Even when she was little, she would, um, people wouldn't know, she said, what she was thinking about or struggling with or ruminating over. And sometimes it would manifest itself. She, she would get sick or she would become unhappy and they didn't know what was wrong with her, but she, she was processing something that she had heard or seen and she wasn't telling anyone, anyone about it. Um, so she has this, deep interiority all throughout her life. But I think it's interesting that although she's this great intellectual, it wasn't some argumentation of the faith right. theology that convinces her. It's it's meeting people who have given their lives to Christ in in the most simple way, like the woman in the church, uh, in the most profound moment of suffering, like the widow of her professor, and then in a religious vocation, which is giving all of your gifts and talents to the Lord for him to use uh, in a contemplative, counterintuitive way. Uh, you become nothing so you can, he can use you for everything. Um, that Stein, that's what spoke to Stein. So sometimes you can think when you're talking to a friend, you've got to make this great argument if you're going to be the person who helps them. No, you just have to be good. You just have to be yourself. Who you are is going to impact them in ways that you are not aware of. And I always think that woman in the Frankfurt Cathedral, she doesn't know who she was. She does not yes. know one of the greatest martyrs of the 20th century was converted by her act. Yes. She just went in to make a little visit to the Blessed Sacrament. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would, that's exactly kind of what my mind was drawn to. That woman made an incredible act of evangelization. Uh, we have we have no idea who she is. She she had, I'm almost certainly has no, had no idea um, no. the implications of her action, and yet because of her, just I'm going to go into the cathedral, stop this conversation, um, go, or finish the conversation, go pray, and because of that, this brilliant German intellectual um, enters into the faith and is now known as as a canonized saint. As a canonized saint, exactly, and and her own sister, you know, her own sister's conversion obviously came from seeing Edith and the truly loving way that she kept loving and reaching out to her family, even though she was converting. She didn't become some sort of isolated weirdo um, that no one wanted to be <laughs> when she converted. Rosa was like, I'm attracted by who my sister is becoming. I want that, too. Not an isolated weirdo. I, 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 don't, no, think, I don't think that'll not. be the title for this episode, but it would be a fun one <laughs> if... Uh... <laughs> so, 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 Doctor, we've got uh, forty seconds left. What's 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 the takeaway for our listeners, having gotten this little introduction to the life and thought of Saint Edith Stein? Stein has this quote. She says, "I when I arrive where the horizon now closes down, a new prospect will open before me, and I will meet it with peace." She never tried to have the whole plan. She did the next thing. Whatever the Lord was showing her was the next thing, and she would sort of wait until the horizon expanded out again and then again. So she would go as far as she could see in the way she felt called and then wait, and then again she would move forward. And I think that's so helpful because it's, it's doable. So for us, just to—folks, when you— 
What, what do I need to do in five years? Who cares? It doesn't matter. Just need don't, do what you need to do today, and, and the Lord will reveal tomorrow to you. Dr. Elizabeth Mitchell, thanks for being with us today and sharing, us, uh, sharing with us your love and a little bit about St. Eustachstein. You are welcome. God bless you, Chris, and all your listeners. Thank you very much, Dr. E. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.